Welcome to Episode 8 of Hosted Payload, the satellite and space law podcast. From Wiley Rhyme in Washington, D.C., I'm Henry Gola. One of the pervasive themes of Greek mythology is humility and staying the course. For instance, when Icarus disregards his father's advice and flies too close to the sun, his wings melt and he plummets to his death. That's not always the case with modern movies about persevering the American dream. For every Henry Hill who strives to be better and ends up an average nobody in Goodfellas, there's a Rudy or a Rocky providing inspiration for beating impossible odds. A Million Miles Away, the new biopic on the life of migrant farm worker turned astronaut Jose Hernandez, is like the latter. Priya Venkat, the general counsel of Skylo Technologies, joins me to discuss this new movie streaming on Amazon Prime. But first, Chloe Hawker lobbies for creating a new Department of Space and gives you all the satellite news you can use on the Orbital Debrief. All right, welcome in, Chloe Hawker, for the October edition of the Orbital Debrief. Hi, Chloe. Hi, Henry. How are you? Thanks for coming back. Uh, not that you have a choice. <laughs> I'm dragooning you once again. Uh, back. All right. Uh, what do you got for us? All right. So first up, we've got some FCC enforcement news that's kind of unusual in that it escaped containment in the trade press and hit the New York Times last week. Oh, wow. The NYT. Tell us about that. Yeah. So Dish has agreed to pay a $150,000 fine as a part of a consent decree from the FCC for failing to get its EchoStar 7 satellite all the way to its designated junkyard orbit. And that's about 300 kilometers above its original orbit. EchoStar 7 actually made it less than halfway there because it didn't have enough propellant left. (laughs) (laughs) Halfway there and living on a prayer. EchoStar 7 didn't make it. I swear. I can keep going. Did the FCC quote Bon Jovi in the press release? No, no, they didn't. Uh, There was a little bit less rhyming, a little bit more serious. The chief of the Enforcement Bureau called it a breakthrough settlement, making very clear the FCC has strong enforcement authority and capability to enforce its vitally important space debris rules. This is the first enforcement action the commission has taken on orbital debris. All right. So is the FCC trying to set a precedent here? Yeah, I think they absolutely are. The commission wants to make clear that they'll exercise jurisdiction over orbital debris issues and that they'll take it seriously. This is especially relevant given the fact that the FAA has also recently released a proposed rule that attempts to limit orbital debris, uh, and there it's from commercial launch operations. All right. So that was the Enforcement Bureau. What's the uh, Space Bureau up to? So next up, we've got another order from the commission, and this one extended Space Norway's deadline to launch and operate its NGSO system. All right. Tell us more about that. Back in 2017, the commission granted Space Norway U.S. market access for a planned two-satellite constellation that's intended to provide broadband in northern Alaska. Originally, it was supposed to have half of its system, which for Space Norway is one satellite, in orbit and operating by November 3rd of this year. In March of this year, Space Norway filed for a one-year extension of the deadline, citing COVID delays and manufacturing problems. All right, I won't sing Bon Jovi again for the halfway (laughs) point. Uh, And the, the commission granted the extension? Yes, they did. The commission focused on the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic and explained that it had no basis to conclude that Space Norway is unable or unwilling to proceed with completion of its first satellite. Space Norway has said that both satellites should be completed by mid-November. Well, that seems like a helpful precedent for satellite operators to know about. 
Yeah, I think it definitely is. It shows that the commission will take into account extraordinary circumstances that cause delay, especially when an operator can show substantial expenditure and concrete progress toward imminent completion of a system, like the commission acknowledged with Space Norway. All right. What is your third item for us to know? Part three in our trilogy of space news this month is that the space department came out. The space department. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> the space one. department. <laughs> it's the, the Department of Space. Is that a new one? Okay. Yes. <laughs> the uh, State Department came out with a series of six videos about current scientific missions in space. Topics like exercising in space, detecting space microbes, medical robots, and even zero-gravity gardening. Well, maybe they, they should rename themselves the Space Department, <laughs> something like that. So it, there, there was an exercising in space video that used a footage of the character Dave Bowman jogging along a path from 2001 A Space Odyssey. But uh, the State Department goes on to say that in reality, astronauts strap weights to themselves while working out to uh, simulate Earth's gravity. Yeah, you know, the, the State Department should really partner with this podcast with all these uh, sci-fi references. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so... The video series stars Mark Hamill, and it's chock full of Star Wars references to my personal surprise and delight, Star Trek references, and as you mentioned, a lot of other sci-fi. It's always fun to see federal agencies trying to get people interested in space and science, especially when it involves Luke Skywalker. Well, there you go. The Department of Space, I mean state, (laughs) uh, making some videos. Chloe, thanks so much for the orbital debrief. Yeah, thanks so much, Henry. Okay, for this episode, I'm happy to welcome Priya Venkat, who is the General Counsel at Skylo Technologies, a satellite-based, narrowband, Internet of Things service provider. Priya, welcome. Thank you, Henry. I am thrilled to be here today to talk about this movie and to talk with you. Great. Thanks so much for joining. Priya, always one of the first people on LinkedIn to like or comment on my hosted payload posts. So I love excited. this podcast. All right, good. Excited to have her on. So in a first for Hosted Payload, uh, today we are talking about a new release, the 2023 Amazon Prime movie, A Million Miles Away. Michael Pena stars in this biopic as Jose Hernandez, who goes from migrant farm worker to engineer to astronaut. The movie rates a 62 on Metacritic and an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, with The Guardian calling it, quote, a real-life, straightforward encapsulation of the American dream, entertainingly told and smartly trained on one of Mexican Americans on one Mexican American's family's experience over blunt moralizing. Well, that's that's pretty well said. Okay, so all right, Priya, in FCC parlance, for a million miles away, petition to deny, or comments in support. Definitely comments in support. Um, I actually didn't read the book I, or know much about this story at all, um, but I was intrigued with the movie title, that famous 80s song. Uh, and then I kind of, you know, saw Michael Pena was in it and I love him. So funny. Um, and then I watched the movie and I loved overall the show, not tell kind of storyline. 
um, it was just beautiful story that unfolded. Um, and Jose's father kind of talked about these five ingredients uh, recipe for success. And that really kind of captured me. And then the whole movie was kind of beautifully kind of played out that way. So for me, um, it felt like we were just watching these characters. We watched kind of their everyday struggles. It wasn't really a movie. It was just kind of almost two hours of just watching these people, um, you know, storytell. And I thought it was the perfect movie to capture uh, Hispanic Heritage Month as well. So overall, love the theme, perseverance, believe in yourself, uh, work hard and reach your dreams. So it's really kind of a good, feel good, uh, incredibly inspiring movie. I liked I liked what you said that, um, you know, how you said it was it was two hours of sort of just watching the characters. Yeah. I think it's a different movie because you know where it's going. Right. I think <laughs> they're not going to make this movie and he's not going to end up, uh, you know, being an astronaut in space. There's no gotchas. There's no tricks. It is it, it, you know what's coming, but I think it still does capture your attention. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, all those struggles, I think the way to portray them so the viewer kind of relates in their own way, I think, is the, probably the hardest part of telling a story like this. Because, like you said, you really know what's going to happen. You really know that it's going to be a great ending. But how that story plays out and, and not watching this as just kind of bullet points, you know, throughout his life, but just really watching the struggles and the interplay of characters. And there was, you know, a couple of times in the movie where, you know, the whole family got together and they did these huge family hug circles. And there was just something about that that really kind of, you know, touched home. I was just like, wow, you know, these are real people and this is his story. And, you know, you're going to see a bunch of struggles along the way, but I didn't feel that they were like movie markers. It just kind of unfolded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of those struggles is, uh, you know, in Act 3, when Jose is accepted by NASA for astronaut training after many, many failed attempts to get into that program, and he has to endure some trying training exercises. Uh, Priya, which of these would you <laughs> least like to do that Jose had to do in the movie? Hands down, that underwater upside down thing. Um, where you're strapped into the chair, um, that would disorient me too much. And I actually felt panicked watching that and watching him go back to rescue his colleague. So yeah, that's a hard pass for me. I just think the underwater upside down, locked and not being able to kind of free yourself would just be a no. Yeah, going underwater for me generally is one of my fears. I, I'm not a I'm not a great swimmer. Yeah. I go underwater when I have to reluctantly. And I agree with you being strapped in <laughs> uh with uh, with a backpack yeah. upside down underwater certainly not something i'm signing up to do um no. for sure so yeah that the, yeah I'd, I'd i'd rate that as number one for me as well yeah. so jose's struggling with training i think he fails the training you just mentioned uh, yeah. the first time and uh, there's a character kc who has been there before, has gone through training, and is sort of the the, the mentor for this yeah. for this new crop of astronaut trainees. And he asks her whether it's all worth it, and she says yes. Do you think it was worth it for Jose when he eventually gets to space? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was worth it on so many levels. Um, and, you know, no great accomplishment comes without, you know, some sacrifice, you know, and that's true for anything. And I think, you know, throughout, you know, Casey and others kept saying, you know, just keep improving yourself every time you fail. And I think that was kind of that theme that carried throughout. And she had this one line and she said, tenacity is a superpower. And to me, that was really poignant because, you know, she was the very first, you know, Indian to kind of go into space. And so I kind of related to that. And the fact that she was the mentor and the fact that they had some connection, they were just two real people. They weren't astronauts. They were just two people talking and, you know, talking about how to get through this really, really trying time. Um, so yeah, after 30 years, his journey came full circle. Um, you know, he reached that destination and there was this monarch butterfly that kind of floats throughout the movie. And it was just like this perfect kind of beginning and ending bookmark to his whole journey. Um, so yeah, he became an astronaut. So at the end of the day, all of that, even the underwater thing, totally worth it. Um, I don't even know an astronaut, you know, so just to watch a movie about somebody and, and feel kind of close that he's from California is really cool. You know, um, I think that's 100% um, what would have to justify all of that uh, sacrifice, hard work and everything. For sure. So would you ever fly to space if given the <laughs> opportunity? There are more opportunities now. There is, there's, there's companies that are, that are flying people to space. You don't have to go through all this training anymore unless you want to work for NASA. Would you do yeah. it? Uh, a short answer, yes, um, but only if I could get from the ground to zero G without any turbulence. So, you know, my <laughs> husband's an aerospace engineer. Uh, he went to IITM and then to oh, wow. yeah, Alabama, roll tide. Um, but I think, you know, words like single stage to orbit, uh, rocket propulsion, those are all regular words in our house. Uh, so years ago, he took us all to Epcot uh, at Disney World. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's this simulator ride called Mission Space. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I did it. Did it last year. Maybe it was a year and a half ago. Spring break 2022, I think. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I don't know if you can handle this, but for so I'll just kind of go through it. There's two levels. There's green, which is gentle, which it's not gentle at all. Uh, and orange, which has these, these forces up to 2.5 G. And then there's like this cabin, there's four people, there's a navigator, pilot, commander, engineer, and you push these buttons and pull these levers, and then you kind of go to space. So we did green, which was the baby version of it. And I literally sat there gripping the restraints with my eyes closed the entire time. So my elementary age girls loved it. Um, they wanted to go back. They wanted to go to orange and I let those three go without me. So I would need some more training if I was going to go to space, but I would love to experience that. I mean, hands down, um, there's this uh, a quote in the movie where uh, Jose's commander said, you know, you're one of the very few highly skilled, extraordinary people on this planet that we deem capable of flying a rocket into space. And to me, that gave me goosebumps. Like I was like, wow, I mean, as many things as we accomplish in our careers, I mean, that piece to say that you're one of maybe 500 people to ever kind of go and see the earth that way. Um, I would love to do it. And I think I need some more training, but uh, <laughs> Did uh, did your kids uh, prefer the orange to the green? Were, were they thrilled the when they got it? Three times, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, that sounds like that might have been their favorite ride in Epcot, then. So yeah, fast passes wisely, I guess. But yeah, I mean, even my daughter, my youngest, wants to go to Mars, and so I, I have a feeling okay. my husband and my daughter may go someday. I, I think that's just something on their bucket list, and 
I'll be the one on the on the ground kind of worrying. But you know, if I could figure out a way to do it without that turbulence, I think, you know, I would love to I would love to get there. I would just love to yeah. kind of be out that window. I think that would be a major moment. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, you know, if any, anything can be learned from this movie, it's, it's dare to dream and, and going to Mars, you know, might be possible. So who yeah. knows? <laughs> All right. So it sounds like you would fly to space. But what's the uh, other than the green level simulator <laughs> Epcot? What is the most dangerous thing you've done and how does it compare to space travel? The most dangerous thing. Well, um, I took flight lessons when I lived in Boston. Um, my mom thought that was dangerous. Um, I thought it was super cool. Um, so I drive up to Beverly, you know, every Saturday morning and I learned on a Cessna. Uh, got in a few, I didn't get in very many hours. I got in a few flights uh, with my instructor and then 9-11 happened. So all the airfields shut down. So I never really got to realize that. And then life happened and I never went back. Uh, but I loved every minute of like just floating on the air. It was just quiet and you just heard the hum of the engine. Um, and those controls are heavier than you think. Um, but I guess in comparison, uh, you're trusting this vessel that you're in, you know, so you're just way above the ground, you're floating, it's quiet, it's calm, um, and you're feeling like you're not in control. And for someone like me to kind of just let everything go and just trust in something else and just kind of give yourself over, um, that I think is probably, uh, the most comparison to probably going into space. Uh, it's a lot easier. There's no G-forces, so that's a plus for me. But um, yeah, I mean, I think now that I look at it, it, it was probably kind of dangerous, but I didn't think of those things at the time. I was a lot younger and probably had a lot more in me then. You know, I, I've never heard it put that way, but it does sound like a type A nightmare. It sounds like a nightmare <laughs> for me to just totally lose control and and not <laughs> and just be floating. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to show my ignorance here, but how many hours do you need for to be certified um, in, in a flight program? Well, I know that the pro so there were these different ones. There's kind of this introduction course. I went up, you know, for an hour and decided I loved it. Then I signed up for chunks, and I want to say it's well over 200. And then there's different ones. You know, there's like instrument training, and then it kind of you keep graduating up. Like you know, you have your bachelor's, master's, PhD kind of thing. So by the time you get to really, you know, fly it on your own, you know, night conditions and all that stuff, it's a lot of hours. But I know that package I was looking at was about 100 to 200 hours, um, and then okay. they kind of limit where you can go and how long you can be. Um, maybe it's changed now. I don't know, but uh, it, it was something I was willing to do. You know, I thought, okay, a hundred weekends doing this, and then you know, some flight hours. It definitely intrigued me. For sure, that's yeah. awesome. All right, uh, unsung hero of the movie. In other words, what minor character stole the show for you, and why? Yeah. Well, I'll preface my answer uh, with Jose's father, obviously, who instilled the work ethic and tenacity in his kids. And that was like the recipe for Jose's success. And my father immigrated to America on July 4th, actually, from India. So I totally understand the American dream and providing this better life for your children. But my vote is for Mrs. Young, that teacher that he had. Um, she encouraged him to excel in math and actually reach for the stars. Um, and she what she said, she said, I believe in your enormous potential, Jose. And that positive influence and support, I think is really what kind of carried him out and kept him outside the wrong circles, kept him outside of getting distracted. And, you know, she even kept this drawing of his corn rocket and his dream to go to space. And I felt that was just a beautiful way of kind of tying the story together because you never really think of your teachers and who inspires you. And that actually made me think of, you know, when I went to Columbine High School and Frank DeAngelis was my Mrs. 
young. Um, and we had this mock trial in ninth grade and I loved every minute of it. You know, the preparation, the arguments, getting dressed up in my mom's suit. Um, and Coach D later became the principal of our school, but he'll always be this person that made me fall in love with the law. So I think for me, that's how it hit home, that she was the one that kind of was this quiet thread all the way throughout. And I look back on my career and I remember in ninth grade, those two weeks that we did mock trial and Coach D will always be somebody who will be very special to me because I think that's where I learned to love all of this. That's that's great. So what was the what was the topic of the mock trial? <laughs> This was, and it was funny, I still remember it. Um, there was this defendant, Candy Kane, and she actually apparently killed, you know, her boyfriend. And there was this, all this back and forth and all these pieces. And I actually wanted to be the prosecutor. That's so I was really upset that I was put on defense. And I was like, no, no, I want to be the prosecutor. And then I learned to love it. You know, and then you kind of realize that it's not what you think it is. It's not like just going and talking to the jury or, you know, um, you know, doing all these pieces, it's actually kind of understanding what you have to communicate and communicating it and on defense and actually kind of learning to defend this this person, Candy Kane, uh, was really enlightening. And then I thought, you know what, I like this. I like this defense. I like trying to figure out why we're not guilty. I like figuring out, you know, what are the things to convince the jury? And they're all your friends, right? You know, you're sitting there right. in class and, you know, they're kind of like, what? And then, you know, after a while you have to kind of play into a character and then they all believed it, you know, and my yearbook has this Priya you're going to be a lawyer and it's like all flooded throughout and all through my high school and I love that I love that everybody knew you know all through my high school career that that's what I wanted to do and I feel it's that point of life you know uh, that moment in time that really kind of defined it for me that's that that's really cool uh yeah I remember you know in in law school being yeah. surprised I didn't know a thing about law school when I went I'll, I'll be honest but I remember yeah. going to moot court yeah. and and signing up and you had to and they're like well you have to argue both sides yeah. and I was like what I have to memorize I thought I just have to pick one right and they're like no you yeah. need to know both and we're just going to flip a coin and then you have to do that yeah. side which was crazy at the time and I'm not sure I could <laughs> I'm not sure I could do yeah. that now but it's it, hard was, now. Yeah. it was it was hard did your father I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm changing topics here going back yeah. to something else you said did your father father pick July 4th on purpose or was that random it was so random uh it was just and he actually left India and went to London and you know this was many years ago and uh you know he got his visa and he came and he just happened to land you know he and he always says set foot on uh, on American soil on July 4th and you know it just happened that way and it's always been a thing there's always these moments in time and for our family and that's why I kind of preface this because I think you're I would be nothing without my parents and so for my father to have this incredible connection to kind of start our family here and now that I have kids who are growing up going to college I completely see that whole piece of it you know that American dream is really alive and it, it really was what propelled all of his sacrifices and their sacrifices for us and what we do for the kids. So yeah, there's just this, this theme of, you know, how did that be? And so we always talk about it. How does my dad get lucky with these things? And yeah, it just happened to be July 4th. Um, so every July 4th is incredibly special for us uh, for two reasons, you know? Right. Well, I think that's a terrific way to, to, to conclude. Priya, thanks so much for joining this episode of Hosted Payload. Thank you so much, Henry. This was actually my very first podcast, so uh, it was very good. I loved it. Terrific. I'm honored. So thanks so much, Priya. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Hosted Payload. For all your satellite, spectrum, and space law needs, visit us at wiley.law.